Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Good day, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About. Today, uh, if the kids, <laughs> Will and I were just talking about, if the kids are in the room or in the car, if they're in the car, you can't put your headphones on, so you don't listen to this one just yet. <laughs> okay, if you're at home, put your headphones in, because there's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of things, and starting with the title. So today, thank you, Will, for being on the show. We got Will Madden, uh, founder, CEO. What's your official title? Uh, co-founder co-founder whole brain consulting of whole brain consulting go check him out um will and i have met through uh, a mutual client of ours and uh hold on to your shorts will thank you very much for being <laughs> thank you very much for being on the show appreciate it <laughs> thanks for having me what is the title of the show how to not fuck your business and how to unfuck it if you did Please tell us, how did you come up with this title? <laughs> so when I started this business, it was creative problem solving for my clients. You know, how do we dodge around this? You know, had this little problem as my business has matured. So as my relationships with a lot of my clients and so have the reason why clients were referred to me. Um, generally, a vast majority of my day uh, starts out with phrases like, so is this a problem? Well, guess what? If you're asking if it's a problem, you know that fucking answer, right? The answer is yes. Yes, it's a problem. Um, hey, I fucked this up. How do I unfuck it up? That's probably has have two or three of those by noon every day. And then how do I not fuck it up? So I really like the how do I not fuck it up? Granted, it's not real lucrative for me for you to do it right on the front end. It's <laughs> for me for you not to listen and then to unfuck it. Um, you know, but you know, I I'm more of a janitor now cleaning up people's people's mistakes or having them figure out how to mitigate the damage that those mistakes have gonna have done in the past. Fabulous. Thank you. So let's start. How did you come up with, uh, let's go down your janitorial career. <laughs> so how did it all start? <laughs> so I, I actually was an operator um, way back when I was young and beautiful. All right. When I was young, I was never beautiful. Um, I was going to Georgia Tech. Uh, at the time, we had a six or seven to one guy to girl ratio. So I had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. um, I had two roommates. Uh, one was a aerospace textile engineer and the other was a chemi. So like literally one of my roommates designed fucking rocket engines. <laughs> aerospace textile, you design missiles or you design rockets. That's it. <laughs> and then chemi, well, you know, was the best chemical engineering school in the country at the yeah. time. So the three of us got to know each other really well. See six to one girl to guy ratio. Um, <laughs> if you're not studying, you basically had nothing else to do. So we used to uh, have our wild Friday nights where we'd go to the Kroger video section, which is probably as big as uh, your client's kitchens. Mm -hmm. Most of them, if they're not in one of the top five metros, it actually was smaller than their kitchen. 
And it had, you know, maybe 200 different videos to choose from. And I'm pretty sure we'd seen them all, but they had Mm -hmm. this little spinner rack of cotton candy. And I was the small one out of the three of us. So, you know, we were some big boys and we'd grab them and, you know, have one, have a bag while we went grocery shopping. Cause mm-hmm. yeah. Cause you what could. Else you, gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Cause you could. And so one time I was, um, well, I was high as a kite and, uh, went grocery shopping, really bad idea. You buy so much junk food. <laughs> I was going to say Doritos I, liked you then. Right? <laughs> like lots of cereal and like 22 bags of Doritos. I'm like, I don't have a meal in the house. What the, um, anyway, so, you know, at that one, it sounded like a really good idea to bring some of that con candy home. Mm-hmm. Now, brought some home and I wanted to hide a bag for myself so I wouldn't eat, you know, like all six bags between them. So I hid one right above the Cheerios. Again, no food in the house because <laughs> I buy grocery shopping. So I was going to be seeing those Cheerios here shortly. Um, so I had it up there. A couple of days pass, I, you know, pull out the thing of Cheerios to, you know, make my dinner. Uh-huh. And, um, and they're like, good this, college kid, yeah. <laughs> this congealed pile of crap hits me in the head, like literally hits me in the head. So um, I yell out and I'm like, whose fucking science project is this that they have in our kitchen cabinets? And, you know, John comes downstairs, aerospace textile engineer, and goes, uh, that's your con candy dipshit. I'm like, no, it's not. Con candy's light and fluffy. He's like, you really are an industrial engineer, aren't you? Oh, man. It's like, it congealed. And I'm like, well, if somebody could figure out how to keep this fresh, they could rule the world. Which base Bruce sits there and goes, oh, you can keep it fresh. You just need the right type of film. I'm like, okay, I just need the right type of film. You know, give him the finger. He's like, no, seriously, you can keep it fresh forever. So we bet 20 bucks on it. Right. Yeah. I got 20 on it that you're full of shit. And he's like, all right, deal. Comes back from um from school the next day and he has a sheet of film about this big, right? And put four puffs cotton candy in it, then sealed it with an iron cross. And it's like, all right, we're gonna try one of these in one month, one of these in three months, one in six months. I'm like, all right, what are we doing with the fourth one? He's like, at some point we're gonna get high and eat one of these. That's Like, okay, that's fair. So sure enough, one month open up, tastes just like we made it. Well, just like they made it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Month three, same thing. Month six, exact same thing. I give them a $20 bill. I'm like, guys, we're going to take over the world now. And they were just like, what now? I'm like, we're going to go in the cotton candy business. They're like, no, we're going to win 20 bucks and prove you were an idiot. Um, I was like, okay, little disconnect there. That's when I learned you need to make sure everybody's on the same page. And I was like, well, how hard can it be to get in the food industry? Just in case you're wondering, it's very fucking hard. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But we had a friend of the family at the time, Don Spratlin. Um, okay. he was so old that Jesus was a freshman in his college yearbook. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he was older than old. Uh, but he he was a food broker. An oh. independent guy back when they were all one man shows. Can you explain what the, for the listeners, can you explain what a food broker is, please? So retailers don't want to meet 500 different brands. So what a brand does is they hire a food broker who regularly goes inside a retailer to call on the buyer and shows them the different products. And then the buyer picks from the products, they negotiate, mm-hmm. you know, the trade spend and everything like that there. Back now, it's just big brokerage firms everywhere. Mm-hmm. You got presence, you got CA, you got Acosta. Back in the day, 
these were little organizations anywhere between one and five people, mm-hmm. you know, and a vast majority of them are that way before the cross mark, the cost of roll-ups, you know, 20 plus years ago, he was one of those guys and he handled like the Georgia, I think a little bit of Tennessee, a little bit of South Carolina region. Mm-hmm. He literally got in his car and saw the buyers at Thomas and Howard and Golden Gallon and Wayfield and all that. So he's like, yeah, I'll take it. Close family friend. You know, he didn't really have a choice. He had to take it. <laughs> so I found some carnies at a carnival. Like, I can't make this up again. <laughs> Literally carnies, you know, the toothless. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what a carny is. Yeah, carnies are are people who are like a traveling man with carnivals. They go, most people are non-resident, so they don't have a home. And they just go from uh, town to town being, uh, operating the the um, what should we call it the rides or the yeah. or the yeah or the concessionaires yeah. well during the winter in the south they tend to you know settle down for three or four months oh, and so okay i hired these guys to make con candy for me because again no clue what i was doing no clue about capacity utilization any of that stuff yeah. i had somebody who'd make the con candy thought i was a genius and uh so he took it and he calls me up the second day he has it, and he goes, I made a sale. I'm like, great. How much did you sell? He goes, 2,000 bags. I'm like, that's a lot of content. <laughs> Listen, and he goes, no, it's not. Which point I realized I'm screwed. 100 cases, we we're 18 count cases. Uh, sorry, 20 count cases. Um, was a lot to make by a bunch of carnies down in, you know, South Georgia, Macon area. But they made it. And then he started selling more and more and more. And so then I, you know, what I did is I found the guys who were making the spinner rack kind of candy. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and they were all over the damn country. That was not uniform because they had like, you know, five days shelf life, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. You can sell kind of candy to anyone you want. You just can't do it in a heat sealed bag. And I bought a bunch of Singer foot pedal heat sealers and gave it to the guys. Well, these guys were used to making, you know, thousands of bags every day because they had their little routes. Yeah. So they started making it for me. And then more of them started making it for me and I started selling them. And, you know, apparently people liked mm-hmm. cotton candy. Who would have thought it? With, without having to be at the carnival. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> novel, well, and we were the only see-through cotton candy bag that had any kind of shelf life. <gasps> Nobody else had figured it out, which this is important later on in the story. Okay. So we sit there and we, um, you know, selling them, selling them, selling it. And then it just spirals out of control. Like P.O.'s galore. Because I wound up having somebody from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and then the Dallas Star both do an article on me. Because, you know, it was the time, it was in the, the late 90s. Everybody was doing dot com this, dot com yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dumbass is actually making a real product. So that was news. You know, it's like, oh, he's actually doing something. So I, uh, so I got a lot of press. And then the Dallas Morning Star, Brian Kuderbrock saw me and asked if he could see me. He was the buyer for Blockbuster. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was perpetually fucked. Like no, no other way to say, <laughs> you know, cause my thing is I'm like, sure. How hard can it be? I wasn't yeah. making the candy, you know, like <laughs> I didn't realize that like literally these guys were shutting their routes down to make my shit. Right. Like, you know, day and night, I had no clue. I'm like, just 
Cotton Candy King. Cotton oh, Candy oh. King. Hell, my first order, I didn't know that that there was no lift truck to put it on because it was basically a glorified field with guys with cardboard boxes spinning cotton candy. And they had to rebuild the pallet on the truck and wrap it. Yeah, I mean, that's how janky I had this thing set up. Like, I really had no clue what I was doing. And so... And so I go home because I need to get my teeth done. <laughs> go figure. I needed dental work running a cotton candy company. And it was a, you know, family friend who was our dentist because I lived in Snellville, Georgia. You know, for everybody, somebody, Snellville. Um, yeah. Snellville. <laughs> I've never been, never heard. Oh, man. Not, now I got to Google map it. Now I'm going to go Snellville. Yeah, you, Where the hell? <laughs> You don't want to go. I mean, my mom moved me from Los Angeles to Snowville, Georgia. I still tease her. I'm like, remember, I get to pick your home. So you can stay in good health. It's worth thinking government run facility. Okay, mom? Government run. Uh, oh, that's a joke, by the way. He's not that evil. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, um, so. So I'm in there in the dentist office. He's like, yeah, your mom told me you started a nice little business. I'm like, yeah, I did. He's like, oh, great. He's like, well, you know, I'm an independent business owner. Is there any advice I can give you? I'm like, yeah, where do you get money? And he's like, oh, that's everybody's problem. He's like, have you tried the bank? I'm like, I'm 18 years old. They're not loaning me shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 18 with no assets. No, I, I don't see that one happening. And he's like, well, how much money do you need? I'm like, about a half million dollars. And he goes, what are you going to do with half million dollars? I'm like, oh, that's how many POs I'm behind. Which point he goes, what now? I'm like, yeah, I'm about a half million dollars worth of POs. I just kind of stopped counting. You know, I'm like, we're, I think, at least six weeks late on stuff. He's just like, <laughs> what a nice little business. He's like, your mom downplayed this. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he goes, well, I have an investment club. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. He goes, maybe we'd like to invest in your business. Can you meet us, you know, Tuesday at like yeah. 7 something at my office? I'm like, sure, no problem. I'm like, what should I bring? He's like, well, bring some POs. That would be good. And, mm -hmm. You know, what you did for sales, go into QuickBooks and print that out. And, you know, if you owe anybody money, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, no problem. So I bring it, you know, show mm. up. So my first investor pitch is literally stack of POs this thick and a QuickBooks printout of, you know, the money that I have coming. And, and no sample, no sample. Not shit. I didn't have samples to give them. <laughs> We're I sure was going to say, yeah, yeah. Shit, there's hey. no sample to give. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was telling my brokers to go to the store and buy them. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not kidding. Like, literally, I'm like, go to the store and buy samples. That's the only way you're getting it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so um so you know they got it and you know they're like oh well you know ask me some questions about my yeah. business of course i'm stupid so i answer honestly and uh you know they're like oh well you know let us look over this do you mind if we talk to any of these people i'm like yeah sure you know the numbers are on the top you know the buyers names are there and give them a call again not knowing anything about anything um and so I get a call about three days later. They're like, well, we have some good news and we have some bad news. And I'm like, all right, what's the bad news? He goes, I'm not going to give you a half million dollars. I'm like, well, that's really bad news. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to have good news after yeah, that. Yeah. He goes, we're going to give you 2.2 million. 
We're going to give you more. And I was like, you could have just skipped the bad news and just opened with them giving you 2.2 million. I'm like, but why are you giving me that much money? Again, back to stupid, right? Mm-hmm. You know, really good engineer. Well, I wasn't in a good engineering stone, but you know, like, I'm like, so then, and he goes, well, because that's just catching you up. You're going to need operating capital to actually not get behind again and then to wait for receivables. And my receivables were impressive because, you know, since my name was in the newspaper, Kroger actually paid me on time. It was amazing how that all worked out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I couldn't take the buyer out for drinks, but, you know, it was like I was everybody, (laughs) the son that they wish that they all had, you know, they're like, this guy's fucking fantastic. I wish my kid had this kind of wall. You know, I I had 30 day payment terms. I was going to pay them like 12, you know, Mm. just so they didn't take the 2% 10, but not enough to where I stretch, right? Um, You know, but they're like, you're going to need operating capital. You know, they're like, you're going to have to have a little bit more robust of manufacturers than glorified carny workers. Um, and the random 30 guys that you had across yeah. the country making this stuff. And so, you know, worked through all of that, did the paperwork again, stupid, didn't understand a lot of stuff. You know, I also realized at that point, that's why you have good legal advice, mm-hmm. not your local town lawyer who had no clue what he was looking at either. Um, gave away a little bit more of the company than I should have. All right. Give away a lot more of the company than I should have, mm-hmm. but we also didn't have the same valuations. Continued working another two years, woke up to a phone call of, hey, guess what? Um, you know that first ride refusal that you fought for? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, all right, we're activating. We have an offer on the table. And I'm like, great. How much is this offer? And, you know, they told me. And I'm like, so that means I need to give you how much money? And they told me. And so I saw my college professor, Professor Juryman. And I was like, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And he goes, there is no way you can give them that much money and still have a business. He's like, it's impossible. You're selling. So we sold out to a guy who I absolutely hate, um, hated him. And at the closing table, because yes, we actually signed paper, like, yeah, you back know, in the, yeah. you know, in the lawyer's <laughs> office and all this, the guy hands me my pink slip, pink sheet of paper that basically says, fuck you, go away. Yeah. yeah. And a year's salary. And he's like, your services won't be needed. Still remember to this day. I just wow. look over my lawyer and I go, is there anything he can do to take that check back? And he goes, nope. I'm just like, thanks. Didn't want to work for you anyway, asshole. Fucking <laughs> 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 left. It was one of the best days of my entire life. It ranks up there with like my son being born. Wow. Um, I'm going to work for you anyway, asshole. And like, I mean, he honestly thought I was going to be upset with him giving me a year's salary after giving me that chunk of money because I don't get the privilege of working for him. I'm like, fuck up. So I told them at the closing table, they're like, so what's the secret sauce? And this is where I really put the screws to him. I was like, oh, it's the film. They're like, what now? I'm like, yeah, it's a tri-layer polypro film. It has an oxygen and moisture and a light barrier. The three things that destroy cotton candy. And he was like, that's it. There's nothing special in the product. And like, no, it's packaging. Well, I found out a year later that they had put into all their financial modeling, changing the packaging. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I was using too high to grade a film. Oh my goodness. They had never figured out. Nobody had ever checked the packaging as being the solution. 
So they had dissected it. They had done ash tests. They were trying to figure, maybe it's the process that he uses. They couldn't figure out anything on how the, how it was. And it was the packaging. So I kind of screwed him twice on the way out the door. They eventually killed all my brands, sold out to charms, called it a day. Then I found myself pleasantly unemployed, the ripe old age of 21 years old, having sold my initial multi-million dollar business and thinking I'm going to spend two years in Jamaica again. Hi, like that was my plan. You know, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> I thought it thought out. Um, and considering, you know, how everybody has the margarita, senorita experience, yeah. I did and I built a multi-million dollar business. And I had a professor who put it bluntly to me. He's like, you have no more life. He goes, you have 67 people that depend on you to feed their families. Yeah. He's like, so going out, fucking around spring break, he's like, none of that's in store for you. He's like, you're an adult and you're an adult early. And so, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to make up for lost time. And I go on vacation to Chicago. <laughs> To visit sorry, some- sorry for all the people in Chicago. I am terribly sorry. I shouldn't have giggled. I should not have giggled. <laughs> when you get the time of year, you should. It was February. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I will giggle. Oh, so all right, coldest place on earth, Chicago. Yeah, you're sure. <laughs> It was a month of February. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Next to Anchorage. Crazy. Next to Anchorage. Uh, Chicago, Anchorage. I'll take Anchorage. Thank you. <laughs> I had a house in Chicago and a house in Anchorage. I would spend the winters in Anchorage. Um, but yeah, no. So I um so we're there and it was Mary and David Overton, really, really good people, good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to babysit their children. Um, you know, hell. It, if it hadn't been for David bringing me in with him to work, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I'd be where I was today. I mean, I literally changed around school, skipped my senior year of high school from his guidance. Like, you know, I owe them my entire career. Great people. And I tell Mary what my plan is. She looks at me, she's like, you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean I can't do that? I can do anything I want. I got a chunk of cash and I landed out. I didn't have a real great two years. I got good at math over this. Jamaica money goes a long way. Um, She's like, no one will ever hire you. They'll think that you're a flake. I'm like, look, no one's going to hire me anyway. Who the hell is going to have a 21 year old kid come into their business? Who's a former CEO. Like literally I will have done the job before. Uh She's like, somebody will hire you. I'm like, where do you get a job? So we opened up the newspaper. No shit. Yes, I am that old. Actually, found my job, my first job in the newspaper. The only job I've had to find. Um, the rest of my career has literally been picking up the phone. But still, this day I get like two or three job offers a year. It's great. Um, if whole brain doesn't work out, I'm pretty uh, sure. Yeah, I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> go run. Um, so I sat there and uh, you know open up and this is Willy Wonka Candy Factory. I'm like, oh, what? Well, this- are you kidding me? This Willy Wonka candy factory, and I used to eat nerds like it was a second job. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so I just looked at I'm like, working for them will be a return on investment, right? Like I'm, I'm doing this. So I like call up because again, I don't know shit on how you find a job. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. not my thing. I mean, you know. um. And so I call, you know, so call up. He's like, yeah, send in your resume. I'm like, okay. So I send my resume. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be here all week. You know, I can, you know, let me know which day I can adjust my schedule. Mm-hmm. 
for an interview. It's like, all right. So then I wrote a resume because I had never done that either. Um, so which, Cotton Candy King. Yeah. Dot, the, dot, dot. <laughs> phone number. Wasn't a robust resume. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, I mean it, it's better than our, pre, our corporate presentation. You know, it didn't look like kids drew it with crayons, but not much better. And I faxed it over again. Yes. <laughs> Faxing. Fax it over. Well, it comes up to like Wednesday, you know, Thursday, I don't hear from them. Right. You know, so what do I do? I not knowing that that's a polite blow off. I pick up the phone and I call the head of HR. I'm like, Hey, this will, I told you I was going to be in town all week. You could interview me. He's like, well, we decided to go a different direction. I was like, all right, why? It was, well, we want somebody with more experience. I'm like in alternative markets. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't think that person exists. And he's like, well, we want somebody who knows like the buyer at Blockbuster. It's like, oh, Brian Kudabrock. He's like, who's he? I'm like, the guy who runs procurement for Blockbuster. He's like, how do you know him? I'm like, favorite artist is Georgia O'Keefe. Just got done with LASIKs. <laughs> totally worried that he's going to go blind one eye. I told him, this is science. They're really good at it. That's why they do one eye at a time. He might be a fucking Cyclops, but he's not going to be completely blind. You know, they make sure you can see on one eye. But screw up the next one. You know, and you know, he says, Well, how about like Hollywood video? I'm like, Oh, Mark Brennan. I'm like, He's a fucking asshole. He goes, Oh, you don't have a good relationship with him? I'm like, No, I have a great relationship with him. He knows he's an asshole. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I've called it to him to his face, you know, I'm like, it's up in Oregon. It, like, you know, deep down, he's a nice guy, but he's a hell of a negotiator. And, you know, he split the region between the two of us just so he could always keep us going. And so, you know, he asked me about one account after another. Now, cotton candy does not sell really well in line at a grocery store. It sells fantastically well everywhere where there's not normally candy. Yeah. So alternative markets at the time, it was alternative markets, special markets, it was everything outside of drug store and mass mm-hmm. and club, right? It was like D all other. Yeah. Nobody sold these at the time. There was one broker that covered it for Depp Beckman. It was an ancillary business for everyone else. So go ahead and I, uh, I do, you know, I, I just tell him like, oh, here's the buyers, here's the buyers. And like, you know, uh-huh. and he goes, well, you know, let, let me, let me this. He's like, you know, I'm like, okay. So revisits it, you know, I'm back at home. I land on Friday and my answering machine. Yes answering machine has a message on it hi this is joe costa how are you uh sorry we miss each other in chicago but we'd like to see if you could uh come on have an interview here's my uh personal number feel free to give me a call and we'll arrange the uh plane travel and everything i'm like all right good so you know pick up the phone call the guy at 9 30 at night um and uh he's like yeah can you come out monday i'm like sure what do I do about tickets? He's like, oh, just what airline do you like to fly? I'm like, whatever one gets me in Chicago. Like, <laughs> pretty open. You yeah. know, it's like me and my business. You know what airline I took? Whoever had the cheapest ticket. <laughs> it was my airline of choice. Um, you know, so flew me out actually to Dallas to interview with my bo- with the guy who would be my boss. We sat down. It was supposed to be at the Admiral's Club in the Dallas airport. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be a half hour interview. It's two and a half hours. He almost missed his plane. He's like, well, if we have next steps, they'll reach out to you and everything. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, fly home, land to another thing. Hey, this Joe Casa, in case you don't have the number, here's my number again. Feel free to give me a call at home and uh, we need to arrange you to come in and meet the rest of the team. 
I'm like, these guys aren't really good at telling me what the next step is when I'm there. I'm like, but you know, it's their money. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, I call him and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, can you come out, you know, Wednesday to, uh, to Chicago interview with the team came out Wednesday, you know, I actually had my suit on and, you know, I only owned one suit. So <laughs> I was getting a little nervous that there was a third one. This thing was going to get, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, go in there and, you know, interview. And again, I don't know how to professionally interview. So I was funny, charismatic and engaging, which apparently worked. And they asked me, well, what would you like for money? And I'm like, well, how much you got? And he's like, we're Nestle, we have a lot. I'm like, well, I'd like a lot, not everything you have, but you know, a good amount would be good. And, you know, he's like, seriously, give me a number. I'm like, eh, how about this? Figuring there's going to be a negotiation, right? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like nobody sits there and goes, oh yeah, go take that. No problem. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Um, and, you know, I round out the interview with Joe Acosta and I smoked at the time. And so did, so did Joe. And we got about halfway through the interview with him and he's like, do you smoke? And I'm like, mm, what's the correct answer with this one? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, do you have an extra cigarette on you? I'm like, yeah. He goes, what do you smoke? I'm like, camels. And he's like, shit. It's like, I normally smoke marble reds. I'm like, I'll give you a camel. I don't have a marble bag. <laughs> like, you want to go have a smoke? And I was like, sure. So we're out there in the yeah. smoking hut in February in, in Chicago, Chicago, having a cigarette, rounding out my interview. So he, uh, you know, so surprise i tell him i'm like look you know i'm going i'm going i'm cruising on saturday so if you guys can give me a you know answer by friday that'd be totally awesome i'm like but you know i gotta leave saturday and he's like no that's that's cool i completely understand blah 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 get a call friday night at like 7 p.m don't take the other job you know we got you what we we got you five thousand dollars more than what you were asking for we got you this bonus you know um blah, blah, blah. He's like, does that work for you before we write up the letter? And I'm just like, yeah, sure. When do you want me to start? He goes, how does Monday work? I'm like, I'm going on a cruise tomorrow. He's like, oh, you're going on a cruise tomorrow. I'm like, what part of I'm cruising on? Oh, you thought I was taking, got it. You thought I was taking another job. And that, you know, let me know by Friday or fuck you. Not, you know, I'm going on a cruise ship and be able to get a hold of me. You know? like, a little like bit of what I just literally said, I am going on a cruise. It's like, can you start the Monday before that? I'm like, well, I, uh, I have a house that I need to pack. He's like, don't worry, we'll pack your house for you. Like, well, I need a place to live when I get there. He goes, we'll put you up in a hotel for 30 days. We'll hook you up with somebody who'll find you a place to live. I'm like, I need to get there. He's like, well, you can either fly up and have a rental car or you can drive up, whichever one you want. We'll pay you the mileage. And I'm like, well, I think I'm going to go with drive up. And yeah, I guess I'll see you a week from Monday. And that's how I started with Nestle. Wow. That was my my intro into the food industry. And then from there, I wound up running alternative markets for the US. Um, awesome job. Like it was great. They gave a hell of a TE budget. Nobody understood what I did. And as long as I posted my numbers, nobody cared. Mm -hmm. You know, brought the region from down 18% at $5.6 million to 19 and a half in like three years. Literally nobody knew what I did. And but the exact <laughs> phrase was. I don't know what you do, but I'm not going to fuck with it. Just, uh, yeah, just 
talk, let's bring it back to don't fuck with it, right? If it exactly. ain't broken, don't fuck with it. <laughs> you know, he, uh, one of them goes, you're the king of fitfo. I'm like, what's fitfo? He goes, figure it the fuck out. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you got it locked up. And then I, then Nestle merged in the kids candy company into mainline Nestle. And I wound up with this total prick boss. Uh, so I quit and went backpacking through Europe for six months. Well, it was supposed to be six months. I think we made like three or four months and then you got sick of living in a backpack. Yeah. Um, came back, decided we were going to have kids, should get a job. I hadn't done anything in co-packing in, you know, uh-huh. five or six years. And my friend who was a headhunter was like, look, I got two strong candidates for this job. I need a third to go in. He's like, just don't look like an idiot around it out. I'm like, I don't know anything about this job. He's like, it doesn't matter. I literally need you to be a warm body. Don't say anything too stupid and just go through. They're going to hire one of the other two guys. No problem. I'm like, all right, awesome. So I go in and I interview. Sit there talking and meet with Don Zerwanka. Awesome guy. Like, awesome guy. And then I meet with Pete Kokinos, who is a personal mentor of mine. Fantastic mm-hmm. guy. Now is the big job over at Palermo's, you know, billion dollar pizza company. Uh-huh. I'm interviewing with them. And, you know, it went from like an interview to chatting with friends, you know, <laughs> they were just cool guys. And, you know, they were like, Oh, what would you do in this? I'm like, tell them to go to hell. You know, <laughs> like you yeah, mean- you're being honest. Like you're not there. You have no mission, no expectations. Like, Shit, I'll just be me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want the job, you know? I'm like, I put on a suit. It was clean. No worries, right? You know, doing a buddy a favor who's a headhunter. I'm like, you know, I expect this favor to return so I can be one of those two guys on, <laughs> on the next interview yeah. and not the third guy filling in. And, um, you know, I get back and, you know, he calls me like, shit, I was barely home five minutes. And he goes, what did you do on that interview? I'm like, Sorry, I don't don't think so. I don't think I did anything wrong. (laughs) I don't think I even cussed that much. You know, I think it was pretty, pretty good. I'm like, why do you ask? He goes, they want to go to offer. I was like, you mean they want to hire me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you did tell him I like barely know anything about Copac. He's like, yeah, I reminded them that, especially since there were two guys with 20 plus years experience of Copac that you're up against. Totally remind him of that one. I was like, um, yeah, actually, they'd be kind of cool to work for. And he's like, so you're going to take the job? I'm like, yeah, he goes, do you want to know what it pays? I'm like, that would be a good start. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a good one. You know, he told me, I was like, wow, that is really a little bit of money. He goes, but they have a hell of a commission program. He told me what that was. That was very lucrative. Um, Pete Cocaine, I swear to God, I'll work for that man anywhere. I never made so much money in my life. (laughs) Holy hell. So I walk in there, you know, and basically my first two weeks were on the lines in the different plants. It's like, you're going to learn, you know, a co-packer. I just, I need to, so so there's, I, there's a whole bunch of other lessons there, but this one here, I, this is one that I reiterate and slap CEOs in the face with all the time. It's like stop hiring for knowledge, skill, and attitude, and start hiring for attitude, skill, and knowledge in that order. Always think of ask because they think that knowledge brings skill. And and if you don't have the right attitude, and that's what you demonstrated, you're like, hey, I'm a cool guy. I like to do, I like to learn. Yeah, I've got the right skills, but 
And knowledge can be gained. Knowledge can be gained. And that's the 80-20. A lot of companies don't realize that that knowledge that you are seeking does not necessarily apply to what you've got. You want the skill set, but the knowledge that's specific to your processing plant or your business is where everybody has to learn. Everybody has to learn. Remember though, it's good having a baseline of knowledge of manufacturing and stuff like that. I mean, my whole business is selling expertise. So there is a happy balance. It works well with junior position, senior positions, it can really yeah, I mean, the skill component, the skill. So knowledge builds skill. And that I completely yeah. agree. The more knowledge, the more skills you have. And it, that's a, a, a circle. But knowledge in itself is not the reason why they hire whole brain consulting is because of the skill set that you bring because of the experience that you have. Yeah, right? we've done it wrong enough times to know how to do it right. Correct. Exactly. You, right. You pay me because you learn because I learned on other people's times how to fuck up. <laughs> so we just we just do it a lot faster the the knowledge without the experience and that's what i mean by reverse engineering the knowledge helps build the skill set so that you do it faster and better that's yes. where the knowledge comes from from repeating that same practice that's why in kendo in in all the martial arts the more you practice the more you practice the more you practice your skill now becomes inherent and second nature to you um, but don't think that if you take a whole brain consulting, like somebody like you, you go, Hey, listen, I want you to do, I think we had this conversation before you've been in CPG. You say, Hey, apply the same, although you have no knowledge in soap, you know, you're telling me they contacted me because we've got this skill set, very specific skill set. We don't know anything about soap, but Hey, can't be that much different. Right. And it wasn't a widget's a widget. Exactly. You know, I mean, it was like, okay, you you have the same problems that the candy bar guy had. You yeah. know, it's just it's a it's a different widget. It has its own nuances, don't get me wrong, but yeah. fitfo, you figure it the fuck out. I'm 80% of the way there. I just gotta figure out the last 20. You're 20% of the way there, and it's a long way for that 80. It, you know, it's it is how it is. I mean, you know. My favorite are clients who know what they don't know. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, I got no fucking clue. You tell me what to do. And that's the decision I'm making. Mm -hmm. They're the best clients. They're also the clients that go on to exit their businesses for $324 million, you mm -hmm. know, do raises of 103 million bucks. They just fucking listened. Yeah. And I'm not a genius. I just have 600 clients which means I have experience with 598 people's fuck-ups that I've had to clean up. Exactly. That's it. So it's not that I'm a genius. I've just seen the problem 20 times. You know, I mean, my favorite thing is I'm like, when I tell you to do this, absolutely do this, just fucking do it. Trust me, because I had one with a CapEx installation. I was like, no matter what you do, I'm like, dude, I love you. I've been with you since you were 560,000 in sales. The one thing you need to do is you need to send an engineer. I don't care if it's one of mine, if you hire somebody else to do a factory acceptance test on this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is where it's going to fuck up because you're getting it made in China. They have different wiring standards. Like mm -hmm. you need to make sure that the plug is actually US, you know, um, voltage that you're working off. I'm like, have an engineer who knows what they're doing go in and do this. He's like, oh, of course, of course. I don't hear from him for six months. You know, he calls me out of the blue. You know, it's like April. His equipment was supposed to be there in January. And uh, 
you know, we're like chatting on a different subject area. I'm like, yeah, we can help you with that. I'm like, by the way, how's that equipment running? You know, he goes, yeah, we still don't have that up and running. I'm like, how do you not have it up and running? He's like, well, we get it up and running and then it doesn't work. I'm like, define doesn't work. He's like, yeah, I don't really get it. It's just not working. I'm like, well, do you want me to fix it? He's like, oh, that would be great. I'm like, why did you wait four months to call me? It's like, I was kind of embarrassed. I'm like, why? He goes, remember how you told me no matter what I do, to send do this <laughs> to do a factory acceptance test? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, by the way, where is that asshole? He should have, you know, mapped this all out. He goes, yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> and I was kind of embarrassed to call you and tell you that I didn't do it. I'm like, Okay, number one, don't ever be embarrassed. If you don't take my advice, I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. It's your fucking company, yeah. right? I can tell you which way to go. If you choose not to go that way, don't be don't be embarrassed to come back and say, hey, well, I, <laughs> I fucked up. Unfuck me, right? But that was an example of unfucking. You know, yeah. he sits there and he's like, so can you help me out? I'm like, yeah. He goes, how much do you think it's going to cost? I'm like, a lottle. He's a like, lottle. <laughs> he's like, what's that? I'm like, well, it's like a little, only a lot. <laughs> And he's like, it's a willism. I stole it from my wife. Um, I'm, like, I'm like, a whole bunch of money. Like, my kid's private school is definitely going to be covered off of this. I'm like, how much are you losing? He goes, about 13 grand. I'm like, dude, 13 grand a week. Fucking figure it out. You know, you can afford a couple more months of yeah, yeah. your dick in the door, right? And he goes, oh, no, that's a day. Oh. I was like... <laughs> A day? He goes, oh, yeah. My embarrassment ends at about 500 bucks. <laughs> 500 bucks that I will call and be like, I was a fucking idiot, right? That's yeah. where my is. $13,000 a day. I would have called me 15 minutes into that day. Then like, come on, fuck me. Hey, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, excuse me, sorry. Hey, listen, can you help me? <laughs> we went in there. They had they had piping going backwards, so you were inbound was actually yeah. your outbound, so you're flushing sewer water through your systems. <laughs> it was just oh my was goodness. A sanitary weld in the place. My engineer literally called me and was like, what the actual fuck well? He's like, I've been doing this for 58 years. And I've never seen never something so fucked up. I'm like, where are you going to do? It's like, I'm literally going to uninstall it and reinstall it. I'm like, that's easier. He goes, it's cooking with sewer water. I was like, I think that's probably a good plan. He's like, yeah, <laughs> took it out, calling in, you know, pipe fitters on a Saturday to do it. You know, it took about 40 days to literally reinstall this thing from the ground up, Damn. take the whole thing apart, put in sanitary welds, unweld all the stuff that wasn't. I mean, you know, six figures later, he had a line that was up and running, you know, when he tallied it up that just by not having an engineer, he said, I stopped counting at a million dollars because I cried too much at what it cost him for that one fuck up from all the lost money for a, what, $10,000 plane, you know, plane and time expense. Uh, like, you know, that is such a learning about ego, right? So when, if, if you're, if you're out there, don't let your ego get in the way of your business, man, ever, 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 ever. If your gut is tingling or your spidey senses are tingling, you know, Will has it right now. How many times have I had a kind of, oh, that's a weird phone call. Hey, Martin, 
I feel like this. Well, if you feel like that, then let's let's go dive into it, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that that is a a major major. I'm I'm the big man. I'm the big person. I know the difference, you know. Or trust and verify. Too many people trust and don't verify, right? I have no time. Oh, I trust. Yeah, there's nothing wrong in trusting verification is just an essential component of ensuring that the task is done regardless of the size or the impact or uh, will brings up a very good example on ego and verify you're never too busy to go out there and walk the floor i I think that's critical so i mean my job at little lady that's why i did every single morning first thing i did was walk the floor to see how my brands were doing I did a minute lunch and I did before I went home. You know why? Because I had a base salary of $59,000 a year. And my worst year, I made $284,000. I knew how every one of my products ran. I knew how to make them all more efficient. I knew when there was a problem, who to ask, who to talk to. I mean, like there were numerous times where it was simply nobody would ask the operator on the floor how to fix something. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had one literally this $1,500 piece of equipment, put a hundred thousand dollars in my pocket. 15. I just looked at the guy and I was like, he's like, I can't get approval to buy it. I'm like, here's my charge card. I'll buy it. Uh He's like, we're not allowed to do that. I'm like, if you have any problems, give me my fucking phone number. It's my money. Yeah. And sure enough, did it went from 143 to 196 a minute, $1,500 electronic guy, you know, like, yeah, but that's how I knew everything about Comian. That's how I knew everything about my plants. I mean, I spent a lot of time. Most of my projects were dedicated equipment. I mean, you know, figuring out how to do smart ones pizzas, you know, at 180 a minute. Yeah. And, well, and that talks about two things that I that I that I, I think we, we should definitely put together here is that from your initial story, the carnies that put stuff together, right? Without those guys there would have been no cotton candy king, right? So the behaviors and the systems are critical when it comes time to production. When I worked with BNSF Railways, they had this huge mission statement, right? So we worked with them for a long time. They had, you know, we take this and blah, blah, blah. And and then a month later, you're still listening to the same mission statement that started in your meeting because it's been continuous. So we worked on safety a lot because safety was a key thing for the leadership team. And so we went to a very simplified, we move trains safely. And so that safe production is all that it means. And when we say safe production is having the right behaviors with the right people. I bet when you were walking the floor, you were entertaining relationships. You were talking to people who had eyes on the machines because you can't be everywhere all the time. But building the relationships with the the people on the floor, one, it, it builds trust, it builds relationship, but it also builds eyes behind your back. So when you walk over and you say, Jimmy, hey, he says, hey, well, machine's making that funky thing, right? And you're going, okay, great. So now you're you're kicking into preventive maintenance. You're saying, hey, listen, Jimmy, you know, how can we how can we make this faster? Well, you know what? I've been pulling this lever instead of this lever. And if you adjust this belt, you know, we're gonna get at least three more skews per minute out. Shit, Jimmy, man, that's a great idea. Without you walking the floor and staying in your fucking office. You don't, you'll never, never, never be a top producer 
if you don't treat your people with dignity and respect and keep an eye on systems, both of them. That's my opinion. Anyways. One thing that I, I tell my clients to do most of the time when they ask, Hey, what can I do for the guys who are actually making my products? Is the next time you're in there for a line trial or anything, bring in lunch, but don't bring lunch for the R and D manager, bring in the lunch for the guys who were on the line, sit there and say, thank you. Yeah. You know, Hey, if they're working a Saturday and you're out there looking at it, you know, sit there and be like, Hey guys, beers are on me afterwards. Yeah. It might cost a couple hundred bucks, but I can tell you it's the bet. You're the only one who's done shit for them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, uh, we went in uh, startups, you know, we're behind after first shift, second shift. I'm like, I don't know how you guys are going to catch up. She's like, don't worry. I got you. Yeah. I mean, they move heaven and fucking earth for you because you're the one guy who's in their corner. And I got to tell you, whenever F grave or Salise were asking about who they should promote, I knew the people on the floor that they should. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this guy is a diamond in the rough. I don't give a shit if he didn't finish high school. I'm like, he's, he's, he's the one that's going to be next level in that position. And, you know, it's cause I knew them and I knew them all personally. I knew what they're good at, what they're bad at. I tell all my clients, be good to the guys who actually make your product because they will remember and they will take more care when they're making your product than somebody else's, you know, just it, it's amazing. But back to the un- unscrewing your business, yeah, not getting it screwed is by having those people who are actually doing it value your product, and they will make sure that your quality is where it needs to be. You know? <laughs> because, you know, your entire brand depends on one person at the end of the line looking at that and saying, yeah, that looks good enough to go in a box. <gasps> I got a great question for you. I got a great question because I think you deal with, out of all the people that I know, you're the person that deals with the most amount of co-manufacturer, co-producer out of everybody that I know. Yeah. So, so think of, so people are listening. Some, there's some younger CEOs. They've got a great idea. They, you know, they don't have the money. They want to go co-packer. They want to go co-facility, like the athletic uh, where, you know, Lululemon, Nike are getting it chopped because we've got these influencers that are coming up and having a great idea and then co-manufacturing. What's the, what's the advice, right? Cause when you think about quality, cause that's what you guys are masters at, what do you do when you, when you don't own the facility? Like, how do you make sure that the shit that you're doing comes out at the back end? And if you don't own the facility, then you can't have that relationship. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? You know how good fences make good neighbors? Yes. Good product manuals make good co-men. Oh, gotcha. What you do is you hire somebody who's an adult to come in there who understands, you know, production, everything like that. Whatever you do, don't do it yourself. You'll think that you'll be able to do it because it's one of those, how hard can it be? Answers really fucking hard. (laughs) Real easy to do it. Remember Cotton Candy. Remember Cotton Candy. (laughs) (laughs) Remember the Cotton Candy story. (laughs) Real easy to do it wrong, like super easy. But what they do is they come in and, you know, normally it's during like first production, uh, final line trial, and they map out how long you mix it, what order you add ingredients, you know, all the way through. They put together color guides at the end. It needs to be between this color and that color. This is acceptable. This is unacceptable. This is too much. This is too little. This is gold standard, you know, pictures they put in English, they put in Spanish, you know, Mm -hmm. but it has a whole guide for each different step in the process, what the hell it is they do. And if everybody follows that guide, you get the product that you want. 
Mm-hmm. Now, they don't always follow the guide, don't of get course. me wrong. Yeah. But you're at least getting them 90% of the way there. That is one thing that everybody needs and so damn few people have. I get, my co-man made something and it's out of spec. I'm like, well, what did you say to him? They're like, well, they said it's in spec. I'm like, well, where's the spec? I don't know. I'm like, what? they are in spec because your co-man made the spec. Yeah. You're asking me to measure my own success. I'm writing a spec that's this big. Mm-hmm. Problem is, you want product within this, but I'm the one who's who's making the spec. I'm going to make it as big as I can because yeah. I want everything to meet it. You know, I want the stuff to fall on the floor to meet it. You know, yeah. like everything's going to meet it. I'm like, so you have good specs, you have good processing guides. Your co-man at least has the rules of the road. And also when they screw up, you're able to backtrack on what went wrong, mm-hmm. what stage it went wrong, which is also extremely important because it's how you learn the variability in your product. Like water boils at a different temperature in Colorado than it does in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Most people don't know that. But if you have a processing guide and you have a guy who's ramping it up in Colorado, the guy in Colorado will know that it will never get to that temperature. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that water boils at a different temperature, you know, like, you know, there's different things by having that roadmap, people who know what they're doing are able to adapt it for what they have. But if you just give them a cookie and say, make it, believe it or not, there's a lot of different ways to make a cookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got band ovens that are 20 feet, you got band ovens that are 130 yards. You know, you got rack ovens, you got double revents, you know, like, there's a million different ways. That's just the equipment to make the cookie. You give them a good map, they can figure out how to adjust the map for their systems. Mm-hmm. But going to them saying, hey, make make my cookie in your plant isn't going to get you there. And, and then, yeah, always do line trials. People get pissed paying for line trials. And nobody wants to do them. The reason why you do a line trial is then the co-man knows what he signed up for. Yep. That cost that he said he's going to do it at, he has to hold because he's done the line trial and has verified that cost. You know that he can deliver the product that you want. Whether he does it consistently is to be seen, but you know that he can deliver it. So many projects are fucked just because somebody wanted to save four grand on a line trial. It, it amazes me. It amazes me how many people don't know how to build an SRP or a break even. It just, it, it just drives me bonkers. First thing that my, my team does, right? So we take on these portfolios and we go with these PEs and the guy goes, okay, so our, we have a, a list of initial questions we ask. Okay, what's your SRP? What's your break-even? Is that SRP. Uh, what's the SRP mean? Standard retail price. Like what's, regardless if it's a service, you need to define your process, all the process, the time that you use. So calculate that so that we can have a break-even so that we know what profitability we can build off of that. And even if you don't have, if you're starting your business and you don't have set overhead and your cogs, we can reverse engineer and say, okay, let's build the process flow, the cogs, and then tack on what we assume or is going to be overhead. So we have a break even like you would think that some of these companies that have a, a more tenure and more maturity have gone through the exercise and say, Hey, let's plan to work and work the plan. And like you said, just invest in that so that it doesn't hit you at the back end. Unbelievable. Oh, it, the other, the other one that I like is I can make it cheaper myself. I'm, oh. like, <laughs> I'm like, no, you can't. They're like, well, it only costs me, you know, 33 cents to make it. I'm like, 
there is absolutely no way in hell it costs you 33 cents to make it. If you can, you need to be a fucking co-packer. I can fill you up tomorrow afternoon. (laughs) They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, why don't you hand me over that model? They send over the model. I'm like, well, just because the five of you are a family and work on this together, you're not going to do that forever. So you got five employees fully loaded at 20 bucks an hour. So you have a hundred dollars an hour right there. So before I've looked at the rest of your model, you're at 70 cents a widget. <laughs> oh. Okay. That, that, and you know, my other one that I like is it's too expensive. What makes you say that it's too expensive? Well, I just don't want to pay that much. I'm like, well, you're making 2000 units and the guy's charging you 70 cents. They're like, yeah. And my friend in the industry pays 22 cents. I'm like, he's running his entire plant on $1,400 a day. I wouldn't bring up price because he doesn't realize he's losing money. Your cost (laughs) should be going the other way. When you make 22 million units a year, we'll get you to 22 cents and they're getting fucked at 22 cents. You know, I'm I'm like, you know, I mean, God damn, the amount of like just dumb shit that comes across, you're like, now, oh, the one other thing that people screw up all the time, which has probably been the most lucrative thing for me in the entire industry, is people don't own their recipes and formulas. Here's the thing. Oh, a co-man has no reason not to give it to you at the beginning. They have absolutely no reason. Like, they just should. I've had... Two argue with me about giving me my formulas at the beginning. And you know what happened? We moved both projects. Like it's just standard that you get it. Like I always tell people pay for R and D, even if they don't want the money, pay them for it anyway. Right. Worst case, you're the one guy who pays them for it. Best case is I have a claim for the IP because paid for it. Right. I've had $435,000, $450,000, Twelve million dollars, one point seven million dollars. I've one point two million. That I've had clients pay, and that's after we negotiated what the co-man wanted for process and for formula. Whoa! It is the most lucrative fucking thing I do. Like it, it's great for me. It is absolutely goddamn horrible for you. Own that shit on the front end. On the front end. Nobody has a complaint giving it to you. Yeah. But when that man knows that he's getting a pink slip and that you're getting a check for $100 million, he's looking to get part of it. Because in his yeah. mind, it wasn't you building a brand. It was him producing a product that got you there. Yeah. So, you know, button, button that up. The amount of I'm fucked that I get on that, that happens least once a month. Jamie crickets. Say, 7% of our revenue is people fucking that one up. The other thing that's most common is exclusive. Here's the thing with Coman. You don't need an exclusive if you're a good Coman. Yeah. Right. I will work with every Coman on price before I will move a client. If you're delivering on time and with quality, I don't give a shit what you're charging. Yeah. Because charging, we can work together. You need equipment. What kind of guarantee do I need to give you so that you can afford yeah. that equipment? Do I need to give you money and you pay me back or you put it in and yep. I pay you back? We can work on all that. As long as you got the first two done, I will go down swinging for a co-man on that last one. And guess what? We normally can bridge it. And worst case, it's where my dogs and cats go when we go to a larger supplier. Yeah. They're never out of the relationship. They just say, hey, I don't want to do it. 
for this margin. I don't want to do it for this price. You know, I don't want, I mean, I got a lot of them where it's, I don't want a business that ba- that big as a co man. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't want your client to be 40% of my revenue. Yeah, yeah. If anything happens to them, you know, I'm shuttering my doors, you know, I can work with them on that. But goddamn, every time there's an exclusive, the people are fuck ups. I have never run across a co packer that had an exclusive that was a good operator. Not once. I've been doing this for 20 years. I agree. It, it um, is exclusive in the contract. Just run the other way because you don't need an exclusive if you're good at your job. That's like saying to your employer, hey, I want an exclusive that uh, I'm going to work here forever. Well, guess what? You don't fuck up. I'm not going to fire you. Yeah. It's a I'm sorry. There's your exclusive. I, uh, it, during, uh, during part of my, my tenure in my business, uh, about 10 years ago, we had a huge client. And they just kept wanting more and more and more and more and more and more. And it came up to almost 60% of our income. We're making good coin. And it's just like, I could not, I was like, okay, got to get more, got to get different, got to get different. And every time I turned to get something different, they double down. And that's where I learned to say the importance of saying no, no matter how good the money was to say no, because guess what? Six months down the line, they said, hey, we've had a bad quarter. Um, Our fourth business unit has gone down. We're canceling all contracts, all contracts, all, not just ours, but all contracts. So I had to lay off a whole bunch of people. And I said, oh, you know, the good thing about working with companies like ours is we know what not to do. And I think that that's the, the key success factor that I think that you and I bring is we don't know what to do. We know what not to do. <laughs> like, hey, let's go down the not to do list and let's eliminate those things. And that that's how we can really build up cogs and, and, and increase the profitability within the organization. They don't realize how sometimes silly mistakes have this massive impacts. Uh, do everything right on the front end. Cause it's so much more expensive to do on the back end. I hear you brother. To give me a call. I'm I'm judgment free. Like I've seen some world class dumb shit by some really smart people, uh, like really smart people. Where I'm like, how did that? Don't care. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> a lot easier to do it on the front end. My my favorite was we had one project, and this was recent. The guy called me, and he's like, I don't understand how you only have two co-men. I used Google and found this guy. I was like, oh yeah, we know about that guy. They're like, well, why isn't he on the list? I'm like. Is he shit? We would never fucking put a project there. <laughs> I've been through his plant three times for three different clients. I had this conversation five times, two of which listened, and we didn't bother going through the plant. He's a shitty operator. He steals your money. He literally has convictions for fraud. So, yeah, you found him on Google. But I do this for a living. This is how I feed my family, and I'm fat. So I must be doing something right. There ain't no meals Ooh. being missed in the Madden household. Okay? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's like I'm fat with a tan. I'm pretty good at what I do. You know, like, but that that one oh. always gets well, I found this guy on Google. I'm like, mm, here's the thing. If they're advertising as a co-man, they're generally not a good co-man. Because good you know, women don't need to advertise. <laughs> it is so true. That is so true. Uh, you know what? That is so true. A lot of co-mans, you go look him up, you go, that's the by shittiest website I've ever seen. And you go to the plant and you go, oh, that's one of the best plants I've ever seen. 
it's, it's like our brochure. People are like, oh, can I have a copy of your presentation? I'm like, uh, you really don't want to do that. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, here's the thing. Marketers draw really pretty pictures. And my competitor, one of them's a sales guy and the other one was a marketing guy. How the fuck they run operations consulting? Oh, and the other one had a daddy who owned a co-backer. How they run operation consulting firms, I have no fucking clue, but more power to them. They're smarter than I am. I'll admit it, right? Like they managed to sell that fucking line. Have at it. Um, I'm like, but our shit isn't pretty because we're operators. I mean, yeah. you know, we don't even have a good looking person in the company. Like, you know, I'm, like, I'm like, this looks like- Brandon, I'll take offense to that. <laughs> no, he knows. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know, our presentation looks like somebody drew it with crayons, but, you know, it's because we're really good operators, you know, like- I, mean, I, I want to put something out there. When we say whole brain consulting- there's, it, you guys are not consultants. You guys are like us. You get hashtag get shit done. So I want to clarify that to the listeners. Will and his team go into the business the same way that Urgio does it. So we don't, we don't tell people what. Well, we do kind of tell what people what to do, but we actually jump in and and do a lot of the stuff together. So it's really a partnership. It's an alliance. So you're not left out there going, oh, what do you want me to do? Well, okay, we'll we'll tell you if you got the resources, then you can do it. But if you don't have the resources, then we'll we'll jump in and we'll help you. Because I don't want to. I want to make sure there's this connotation now. There's this trend where people are really not liking the con- consultants because they come in and like big Deloitte's and stuff like that. So just to clarify, uh, Will's team might have the term consultant, but in no way, shape. Well, you do a little bit of consulting, but it's more operational support and, and, and high end executive operation. Yeah. I mean, I got 24 guys and the young kid on the team is 20 years experience. I mean, <laughs> you know, the old timer is 55, you know, like, you know, it, they ain't a spring chicken in the group. I mean, I, I was introducing one of my guys, Chuck O'Brien to a client. I'm like, and he's got 28 years. Chuck starts laughing. He goes, I have 40. I was like, Oh, oh. crap. You do. Don't you? He's like, yeah, you've only, you've only known me at Kellogg. I worked for craft for a full career before that too i was like oh shit so yeah i mean everybody's got the gray hair and they got the gray hair from learning on other people's mistakes and you know our team is a lot of times it's just easier to have us fix it than to tell you how to do it yeah exactly you know i mean like production planning people think it's easy i have a whole team that does it it's a true career because you you are guessing what this you're guessing what the distributor needs who's guessing what the retailer needs who's guessing what the consumer's going to buy it's a lot of guessing you got to be really good at the top of it to be like uh-huh you think you're going to move 50 widgets we're going to have 174 yeah i mean like i tell people production planning is like doing a rubik's cube you have to undo something to redo something and that's continuous they, they tend to forget you pull one side it goes to the other side where do you want to go and it's just it, it's very complex and once you got the uh what the rubik's cubes algorithms correct yeah. that's the, the how you operate is what works best hey well what's the one piece educational wise or historical what's the one book reference comment what's the one thing that you always go back to and that has changed the way that either you think or help others like for example i'll give you me my 
book that I read way back when, when we were younger, Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits of Highly. The one thing in there is first things first. If there's one thing I do is reprioritize consistently, right? That's the one thing. And then when I left the army, the one piece of advice that I was given by an older uh, warrant officer was there's three things that are important in life, your health, mental and physical help, your family. And so number one, your health, number two, your family, number three, every fucking thing else. So those are, <laughs> those are the things that I was left with. What about you? What's the piece of reference, document, book, movie, whatever you thought about, and then a coaching or something, somebody told you something. So the one that stuck with me is a little bit more of a short story. Um, it was this guy uh, basically said, always treat your partners fairly mm-hmm. until they don't treat you fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, John George, who is my personal mentor, he actually is um, uh, COO, I think, uh, for Somatic, guy I respect entirely. The way we met was he and I fighting over a million dollars. And I dug through and found the paperwork to where it was his team's fault. And I handed it to him. And he looked at me and he goes, yep, that's the smoking gun. It's our, we owe it. There was no fight anymore. Like I showed it to him. Other people would have still said, well, fuck it. You should have known yeah. better. You should have never had it go. He was like, yeah, my team fucked up. He goes, I own it. And I asked him years later, I was like, how was that so smooth? He goes, I always believe in treating people fairly until they don't treat me fairly. You know, he's like, but if you don't treat me fairly, if you don't treat me fairly, I'm hell on wheels with you. I'm your worst enemy or your best friend. Mm -hmm. That's why I tell Coleman, I'm like, I have Coleman that like love me to death. Pete at True, Brian at GF, um, uh, Standard Functional, Mm -hmm. you know, love me to death. will tell everybody I'm fantastic to do business with. There's other guys I've put out of business because they fucked someone over and they did it bad. Be ethical in everyone that you deal with. Be honest and be straightforward and expect the same from them. If you don't get it from them, work with them. Thank you. That's a good piece of advice. Thank yeah. And, and a true friend will tell you when your face is dirty. It's when you got something in your teeth. <laughs> you got it. I mean, you know, I, I can tell you, I'm the most blunt person in the world. I will never tell you about all the good things that can happen. I will point out everything that can go wrong because because everybody else is pointing out everything that can go right. Chicago has influenced you. That cold weather is me. <laughs> oh, I turned 50 this year and I said, I know why old men are grumpy. They're always sore at everything. So every time I bitch at a grumpy old man, now I'm allowed to be the grumpy old man. And <laughs> age or location well well thank you i mean we've been an hour and something at it i think we should we can be able to go again i think we'll have oh, to I do a part two <laughs> <laughs> uh for, for now all i can see is your pink shirt and cotton candy now so that that I, that for me seals the deals for the people who are listening and not watching uh so will's got uh the cotton candy king um, dress shirt on. So I will remember you from there on. So thank you very much, Will, for being on the show. Very entertaining. Thank you for having me. And you have a great rest of the evening. Fabulous. Thank you very much. With, with that said, uh, everybody, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the hunt. <laughs>
<laughs> Will, you got me tongue-tied. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we will translate strategy to frontline operations. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com. We'll be right back.